1: Hi, and welcome to Superwomen, where we talk to amazing women, shaping culture, changing the world, and lifting each other up along the way. I'm your host, Rebecca Minkoff, and today I'm excited to talk with Beth Comstock. She is the former CMO and vice chair of General Electric. Beth is a changemaker and author discovering what's next. This is Beth Comstock on Superwomen. Superwomen is proud to have Prudential as its presenting sponsor. Prudential and wellness expert Alexandra Drain are traveling across America to learn more about our country's challenging financial landscape in a new project called The State of Us. To learn more about the financial challenges facing America, visit prudential.com forward slash state of us and stay tuned at the end of this episode to hear more about this important project. I am with the incredible Beth Comstock, who I had the pleasure of meeting through a mutual friend, and I'm not going to say what she is because she has so many different things, but we're going to talk about that today. So, Beth, thank you so much for joining Rebecca, me. Rebecca, thanks for having me. This is fun. So I would love to hear about your career path and how you got to where you are today.
0: Well, it was um, it was not a, a well-oiled plan, let's put it that way. <laughs> I started out thinking I was going to be a science journalist, and I ended up as a chief marketing officer and vice chair of innovation at GE. makes perfect sense, right? So <laughs> totally. I, um, I started out just to tell stories about science, and I really wasn't very good as an on-air reporter, and so that decision was pretty quickly made for me. And I found myself behind the scenes in media um, and worked my way through NBC, a couple of other media companies, CBS, CNN, and uh, ended up... Um, going to GE, which was a very unexpected turn for me. But it opened up a whole world of creativity for me unexpectedly, from when I tell people I was actually more creatively encouraged at a GE than an NBC. Um, But it became a way for me to um, just explore the world, see markets, learn about business on a global scale. And so what is being the vice chair of GE mean? Well, um, it, one it meant you know kind of you'd been there a long time. <laughs> so <laughs> in the end, I think I was at GE almost thirty years wow. uh, if you count the NBC years, which I do. Um, so in part, it just is a it's a sign of okay you've worked here a while and it's a recognition of uh, of the contributions you've made. I had a portfolio that was called Business Innovations and it was about. Um, seeding new businesses. We started a venture firm that was about seeding, um, starting companies from within, uh, investing in them outside. It was a licensing business, and it included our oldest business, GE Lighting, which was going undergoing a huge transformation in the kind of time of LED and connecting light fixtures to the internet. So I tended to be the person that was about what's next and what's new, um, h- helping the company get going in clean energy, helping the company get going in the digitization of industry. So I established myself a bit as the what's next person and had to bring the kind of people into the company who could do that.
1: And we actually worked together for our listeners. Um, we did a selfie light with GE Light for our cell phones. And I think we sold like 20,000 units. And we work together. Yeah, so no, that, that was...
0: was fun. And we were that was that would have been the kind of thing we were always trying to find innovative ways to connect with consumers or or our our more business customers, and to use something like that that selfie light, um, uh, uh, in an unexpected way to show up. Wow, here's Rebecca Minkoff, and we're working with her, and we're showing up in a way that was authentic to GE, but you wouldn't expect GE to show up with a fashion designer,
1: right? And so clearly you've learned a lot of things. What were some great takeaways leadership-wise that you could share just from all your years, you know, at GE and, and going through the ranks?
0: Well, um, the first thing I learned is just to um, sort of learn to have confidence in myself. I um, I grew up in a small town raised by great parents. I, by all accounts, I was nurtured well, and I should have gone forth in the world very confidently, but I struggled with confidence. I think I still do. Um And I had to learn how to overcome that. Uh, In addition, I'm more reserved, introverted, shy, and that held me back a lot. So I had to learn that things, I had to put myself out there. Um, I had to show up in ways that weren't comfortable to me. It meant I was in a meeting. I couldn't leave the meeting and having not said something, which I did often because people were like, well, why are you even here? And I was missing out on an opportunity to share an idea, to to help move something forward. And so I had to really overcome those kind of things for myself. Um, I did that by just giving myself a small series of challenges to say, hey, get out there ask a question, you know, I I'd, I'd prepare ahead, um, go to an event, and as opposed to just standing by the chip bowl, which is normal for me, I would actually force myself, oh, there's one, I would probably have never have introduced myself to you, I would have been too shy, but there would have been somebody else who was another person maybe at the chip bowl, I would have said, I'm going to make sure I introduce one person introduce myself to one person then another. So I just gave myself a set of small challenges to get out of my way. That would be that would be kind of the uber learning that that one if you want to make change, you want to push yourself forward, you have to start with what you can change in yourself. And the second thing is just I feel like I've been so fortunate to work with amazing people. Who we had a pact, especially the team I worked with at the at the end of my run uh, at GE. We had a pact. We're going to do our best work together. We're just we may be here together five years, five months, but we're going to just do our best work ever together. And we really encouraged each other. And I I think that's the sign of success to be able to say you've worked with this amazing team and we did things that we didn't think were possible. Whether it was storytelling, creating companies, turning around an old 140 year old company into something new, and so that. I think, the other th- message that I've learned is you can't do these things alone. You have to have an amazing team, and it's about the team together. It's not about, hey, I'm the boss and do it my way.
1: I think what's keynote or signal that you said was you had a great team and you guys decided to do great work together. And I feel like, at least in my industry, it's always this cutthroat, like, get out of my way. There's only one seat at the table. Um, so I find that refreshing. Um As you sort of grew over the 30 years, did you ever feel like there was that, you know, am I a woman alone in a sea of, you know, male-dominated and how do I get through and how do I... um Embrace other women and help them along the way, or what was that? What were those years like?
0: Sure, I mean, I in the time I was in media, there were more women than than um, than you'd imagine, but it still wasn't great. Uh, and by the time I got to GE, there still weren't very many women in positions. I saw that change over the course of about twenty years, which is really great. I remember my first um, GE meeting I went to; they it was like an executive, uh, sort of an annual conference, and um, they took there were so many men and so few women. They took the women's room bathroom and turned it into the men's room. And they made the few of us who were women go to the bathroom behind the kitchen. And that was kind of like, okay, huh, I guess there aren't very many of us here. And so my sign of pro- marking progress at GE over the years was we got our bathroom back, the lines <laughs> got to be equal. Um, but I didn't, it meant I didn't work for a lot of women. There weren't a lot of women in senior roles that I could work for. There were many who were colleagues. And I think I did feel like my job was to make sure we had more women, um, but also just to make sure we had more people who represented difference, different thoughts. I was not only a woman at GE, I was a more creative person in an engineering company. And that brought out a little bit of a rebel in me. And so I felt like it was my job to try to pull along and ask for more, you know, kind of force more diverse thinkers into the mix. That was hard. Um Something like marketing was a different different beast in the company, and it brought in different people. And so I had to um, – when I had more leadership roles, I had to be more of a champion for those different people um, and always make the work really good. I think that's that's the point I would make is that you always have to – in these kind of change and when you're dealing with different um, – I, I always made sure the work was impeccable, right? I probably over-indexed on that. But I just figured I can't change being a woman. I can't change being a bit different and, you know, certainly in that context more creative or a little different than the, the norm. But I can make sure my work is
1: really good. So that was how I tried to push through. And being that you're at GE and it was a highly technological company, you know, I began to see when we were working on our store and all the technology that was going to that, even our wearables, that the lack of women at the table was shocking. And just men not not being mean or not being cruel didn't have the user experience we had, so their solutions are different. Um, so I'm curious to know, you're at a place, there's not a lot of women, then there's not a lot of women in STEM. How do you sort of go buck that? Well convention. when you
0: prioritize it I mean we um certainly over the past few years I saw G just did something recently um we just made it a real priority I mean set goals the company's going to double the number of women in stem roles um we're going to do it we're going to hold every every team accountable or it means we have to develop a pipeline you have to put resources behind it you obviously have to make sure you have people who are already in those roles, or else people are going to be like, well, I need to see somebody to know I can be successful here. So it's a long-range plan. It's not something you can just wake up tomorrow and say, we need you know, 10,000, 15,000 women in STEM. You have to prioritize it. We changed how we recruited. I felt really um, happy to see the the role that um, the, the way that rolled out, and basically going to ca- college campuses and saying, if you don't give us a 50-50 slate of candidates in STEM roles, we're not going to recruit here anymore. Wow. So those kind of bold actions and saying to recruiting firms, I know when I was hiring for uh, heads of sales in um, more in the digital area around um, the digital, uh, you know, saying, I'm not going to look at a slate unless you have women. And usually the answer is, well, there aren't any women in this area. Well, there are. I mean, really, there are no women in software sales well, I'm gonna wait until you find them. But that takes time, right? There's you've got the pressure of everybody. So I think you have to you have to one, make sure you're taking the time to do it. You have to say to the people who are helping you find them, like this is what we're gonna do. And you have to make sure that when the people arrive, there's a way to make sure they're taken care of in the culture. you You almost have a buddy system or something, especially in cultures where these positions are somewhat new. Women's networks are very helpful. We have a very robust women's network, but there was also a great women in technology group that emerged. So, again, trying to address some of those specific needs that STEM women had.
1: What did I do when my daughter wouldn't stop sleeping in my bed? Well... I got smart and I got her a Helix mattress because I knew she would sleep so comfortably that she would never leave her bed in the middle of the night ever again. Helix Sleep builds a sleep quiz that takes two minutes to complete, and they use the answers to match your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress. Whether you're a side sleeper, a hot sleeper with Helix, there's no more guessing or confusion. Just go to helixsleep.com superwomen. Take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. Right now, Helix is offering up to $125 off all mattress orders. Get up to $125 off at helixsleep.com superwomen. That's helixsleep.com forward slash superwomen for $125 off your mattress order. helixsleep.com forward slash superwomen. I would love to talk about the moment you decided that it was time to go and how you made that decision and how you felt while making it and what was kind of going through your head as you said, okay, it's time, I'm going to start something new.
0: Well, I had been at the company for uh, several decades and (laughs) I knew my time was coming to an end. Just, I had kind of accomplished everything I needed to accomplish. Um, And I knew I'd be leaving, but honestly, I didn't expect to leave as soon as I did. Um, There was a big leadership change at GE. I expected I'd probably stay out another year. I was working on this book that, uh, that I have out, and I expected that I would kind of have the book and exit and go on. And a year earlier, they had a big leadership change and old team gone, new team in. So in some ways, that decision was made for me. Um, and it was, even though I was kind of thinking, it was still very abrupt and I had to get my head around it. And the news around G was kind of weird and all that was frustrating because it's a great company and it didn't, you know, it didn't represent the reality that I saw. So it was, um, more chaotic than I, um, expected. And I think I've had a year of transition just to figure out, okay, who am I? What do I want to do? I've had this book project, which has given me something to jump into, but i think a lot that i maybe should have thought about exiting sooner and i think you i stayed for a lot of good reasons i love the team i was always challenged i think i made good contributions but increasingly especially in companies there's no need to stay in these jobs so long really i mean g was a big platform i was always challenged in new areas but I think we all ought to be challenging ourselves to renew
1: faster, more regularly, more frequently. So that's something I've thought a lot of in this past year. And so you wrote a book, which is no small feat. I would love to hear about what inspired you to write it and a little bit about it. So my book's called Imagine It Forward. I um I wrote it for two reasons.
0: One, I just wanted to chronicle what it's like to be a change maker and innovator in an organization. It's a struggle. There's both um, the pitfalls and the rewards, and I wanted to try to bring that to light. And I especially wanted to encourage people mid-career, mid-level in companies, big and small, to fight for the future. I saw that, um, you know, it's really hard when you're in the middle of, of your career to take the right kind of risks, to feel emboldened with the ideas that you have. So I felt I would share, here's what I learned. It's not all pretty. Um, and hopefully offer it as some kind of encouragement and offer some practical advice to say, keep going. Uh, I worry a bit in business today that there's such short-term-ism Um, and we means the future often is an afterthought, or it's what you do after five or something. And we need to make room for it. We need more people in the companies sort of giving themselves permission to try different things. We need more people to get out in the world and discover. We need more people willing to take smaller risks and get comfortable with it.
1: Um, And I, I didn't see enough of that. Um, so I'd love to hear about the book writing process. To me, it seems daunting. Um, how do you go about it? What's, what's the routine of that? If well, there is
0: one? It, yeah, it, it was daunting and it was so much more work than I ever imagined. That would be my, my takeaway. Um, I, um, I knew I wanted to do this job. It took me, all, uh, this book, it took me altogether probably close to four years. So it took me about a year to get the proposal together. I had an amazing agent, Elise Cheney, who, Oh, she's a taskmaster. <laughs> she turns in no proposal before it's time and she worked me like crazy. I think that that uh proposal was the hardest thing of all. And then um I uh had a co-writer Tal Raz who's done a lot of great business books and that was really helpful for me because I had a full-time job and I needed help in structuring a narrative because I was just too inside my head. I had I wanted to put everything in the book. It's already kind of big as it is. And so he was really good at helping structure and then bringing some of his narrative tricks to, to bear, and we just got into a really good rhythm. I mean, he had to get in my head, and I had to let him in there. And then he had to make sure it wasn't his point of view, but it was mine. So it was in the beginning, there was a little bit of tension back and forth. Is would I say that? That doesn't sound like me. And then we just got a rhythm. And I I get up early every morning anyway, so I just uh, instead of writing just other things, I would do expository writing. I would write you know, key thing, my, write my outline, write my, my copy. Um, and I would do that every morning before work and weekends were spent just purely at work on my book. And then Tall would, you know, shape them and edit them. And we'd go back and forth and then start to work with our editor. But it was every free minute I have, I was, had, I was either talking to him, you know, editing or writing something, um, to get the book together. Um, it's quite a process, but it was very therapeutic. I think that's what I um, didn't appreciate. My husband's like, oh, you, you always had a book in you. You always were going to do this. And so um, it allowed me the chance to reflect. I, I kind of needed that before I go on to what's next for me. Like, what what did I do here? Right. The highs, the lows. Can I package that in a way that's helpful to someone else? And I almost needed to do that before I could move on to what's next. So I think I've done that. Um, but it, it was... Um, I had a great editor. I mean, it was a really daunting process would all would, was all I would say. But I'm I, maybe, I don't know, people say it's like giving birth. I don't know. I mean, I had two daughters. I don't know. Um, but um, it was different a lot of Different kind work. of pain. It's a different kind of pain. I <laughs> think there's nothing like giving birth. So
1: I don't know those analogies. But it was a lot of work. So one of the things that, um, well, a word, I guess, that's used very often is success. But it's very different for different people. So for me, when I started out, success was I don't have to check my bank account before I go out to see if I can afford uh to have a soda or my dinner tonight. And then success now is I can leave at six o'clock and know everything's okay and I can be with my family. So I'm curious to know, what is what did that word mean to you when you started out and what does it mean to you now?
0: Yeah, I love that question. I mean, I think when I started out, I mean, success was... Certainly, a finance. You know, could could I make my bills? I start. I had my daughter and my career about the same time. Wow. Um, and I had chosen a path as a divorced mother, um, uh, a divorced single mother, at that. So I had very, you know, sort of day to day kind of measures of success. But I was also ambitious in my career, and I, I at the time, I was in Washington D.C. And to me, like moving to New York was success. I would, I would go to work for NBC in New York. That small town girl. That was success. Um, and so those kind of just more career kind of um, titles and roles and assignments were early indicators of success, because so I've gotten maybe wiser, more experienced. I think for me, I mentioned it earlier, but I think just the being able to work with amazing people and just do great work. I. I will be forever grateful that I had that opportunity to do that. That's success to me. And, in fact, it's one of the things I miss now, not having that regular team. I have people I work with and doing different projects. But that team when you're all in and and you sit back and you go, we did that. Like we didn't think we
1: could do it, but we did that. Wow. To me, that's that's success. Totally. I feel that way after every fashion week. I'm like, we didn't think we could do it. And it's done.
0: Yeah. And you do you dream big. I mean, I've been to your shows. It's amazing. They are amazing productions. And you dream big. And then you it looks I'm sure it didn't feel that way. But they look flawless. Right. And and you have to only knew. Yeah. But you have to like when you're done, you have to say like, this didn't work. And let's feel let's understand why. And then like, let's
1: not beat ourselves
0: up. Like we were awesome. Yeah,
1: I need to do that more. We were awesomeness. Um, so I didn't realize that you started your career and you were a single parent at the same time. That's just props to you because I think working and being a parent is hard enough. And what were some of the things or people you leaned on or ways in which you built your support system to be able to excel at work and also, you know, being the primary caregiver?
0: Yeah, well, I had, um, I, at that time I picked up and moved from Washington DC to New York where I didn't really know many people. I had people I worked with. I was at the same company. They moved me. So I had to, you know, rely on neighbors who I was meeting, um, a daycare center. You know, uh, my family wasn't around. Um, I had a few friends, so I had to rely on on the people I, you know, kind of the kindness of new friends, if you will, and um, just trusted it. We were going to make it work. I think what I learned about that time, and I, I actually p- talked about it in the book because I felt it was one of those when, when you're going through change and you're like, "How am I going to navigate this? This stinks. It's so hard." I find it helpful to go, well, when did I do something hard before and remind myself, you can do this. And so that was probably the hardest thing I ever had to go through. And I put myself in that position, and so – I had a great family, but they weren't always there. Um, so, you know, I could call and cry to my mother, but at some respect, she's kind of like, well, I can't help you. I can't help you now. So I learned self-resilience, but I learned to ask for help, and that was that was hard for me. I remember um, I, mean, I had a really great woman who would come and pick up my daughter, eventually pick her up from daycare, so I wouldn't, you know, miss, they wouldn't close her and call, you know, social services or something. And you just work your way. It's kind of like you solve one problem at a time um and ask
1: for help. One of the things you also talk about in your book is starting to create change. So what's something small that you think people can do to start creating change whether it's their their career or their partner or just doing something good in life? Well, I think you the, to me the biggest the secret I've learned if it's not a secret I think you just have to give
0: yourself permission to do it. There's always an excuse of why you can't do it. I don't have enough money, my boss won't let me, my partner is never going to go for that. And many of those may be true. But how do you know? If you won, don't give it a shot. And so give yourself permission to try something. Um, I think it's better to break it down into small steps than, you know, shoot for the moon your first shot. You know, you, it takes a while to get, to get the confidence to that. So I think that's the essential thing. And it's just these small steps forward. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to build a network. Um, but I'm shy. So, okay, I'm just going to meet one person. That's all. I'm just going to meet one person. Next time I'll meet two. It's just small behavior change steps. And uh, I think you have to open your mind up, too, to possibilities and creative problem solving. I love scenario exercises, um, you know, things like, okay, what's the worst possible thing that could happen? And then work your way back, Right. What's the worst that could happen? I'm prepared for it. I mean, I'm a warrior, so I, I've, I, I think part of the reason I, I did pretty well as a creative strategist is because I've thought of everything, right. or at least I think I had a lot of things. What's the worst that can happen? Um, what, uh, what, what if the problem, it's a phantom problem. What if the problem isn't really a problem at all? Like, I think I need money, but maybe I don't need as much money as I think I do to start that project. So I think there are a series of things you can sort of challenge yourself to think about. Um, what uh, What if I could have a partner to do that? What if this were simple? What's the simplest way possible I could make that change? Do I have to make it so complicated? So those are some of the things. I think it's just really a mindset shift.
1: We went through an incredible roller coaster. I mean, as all businesses do. And I remember when we were at our low point, I was like, "What's the worst that could happen?" Mm -hmm. Well, they can't take my kids, and they can't take my husband, so I'm good. Yeah, as long as I, you know, I I had that thought, and I was like, "Okay, everything else is dealable." You know, no one, no bank can come for your family, so we're good. (laughs) Yeah. So I think
0: that is helpful, and it just gives you a sense of confidence. Of okay, I know the low. Um and conversely like what's the best thing that can happen and right. is it possible that what are the series of steps and how am I going to get there and maybe I don't get to the best but hey I've come a pretty
1: far way. So one of the things you also did was you started a change makers club. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah,
0: so it's a book club I started um about 18 months ago and I um I interview different authors people like Simon Sinek um Uh, Kim Scott on Radical Candor, Adam Grant, and um, what I found um, when I was in a company is just it's hard to get outside voices sometimes um, because everybody's in their day-to-day, and my thing is to really push people to get out, to discover, Uh, and I felt, well, one of the ways I could do it would be to bring conversation in, and I I do it on uh, social media, and I um, try to, every month, take an author and a book and dig into, try to, like, what will you take two or three things you can do that you can change about yourself or your work situation when we're done. Like, let's say we do it on Thursday. What are you going to do differently Monday? Um, And try to break it down for people. So um, I really like trying to bring ideas to bear. And it's been a fun
1: project. What are some of the things you're most proud of that you created in your 30 years of working, whether it was at NBC or at GE or... yeah? Well,
0: um, I think I'm most proud of just, as I said earlier, being with some great teams, but I um, I think it w- we were able to identify things early in many cases. Um, when I was at NBC, we caught the digital wave early. I mean, we, we had something that didn't work, and we had acquired iVillage, um, which was a women's community, but it didn't work, but it gave us kind of confidence and insights that helped us and Fox create Hulu, Um, So that is something to be able to see that streaming digital trend and find the resources. Um, Clean tech and clean energy at GE, we saw that early. We made something happen. It generated tens of billions of annual revenue for the company The digitization of industry, seeing that it's so I I feel proud that we were able to sort of summon our resources and see things and then take action to make things happen. So we weren't totally blindsided by things. Didn't mean it was easy. Didn't mean we got everything right. Um, In fact, there were a lot of failures. But that's I think that ability to kind of you don't see the future. But you, you get a sense of where things are going. It's pattern recognition. It's be, exposing yourself to enough things out in the world that you start to see patterns. And so you start to see how it might unfold. And you build stories around that. And you say, well, let's start to do some things so that we're not caught off guard. That's why I wrote the book. That's what I'm talking about. And I'm proud that I was able to, to do that with some teams.
1: So you talk about a lot about storytelling. What does that mean to you? And how do you sort of use storytelling um, to succeed in business,
0: storytelling is everything. And what I get frustrated in business is people think it's oh, it's the it's the thing you do at the end. Like here's my great product. Now I need a story. Story is why do I exist? What's my purpose? Why why am I here as a person, as a product, as a business? What's my role in the world? Where have I been? Where would I come from? Why do I, why do you care about me? What am I doing for you? What's the outcome I can help you get? And then where are we going together in the future? And I think it starts. I mean. It's it's you. It's Rebecca. It's you know. Yeah, I could buy a, a you know a, a outfit from a nameless person, but it's no. It's Rebecca. She started this company with her brother, and the the sweat and the toil and the hard work. And you're an entrepreneur, and you're a mom, and that just I identify with your product because I know what you've put into it. I know what's at stake. And um, we did the same thing at GE, and I see this other, for other companies like who ma- who makes that technology. If, if I told you. There are people who start a jet engine fan blade by hand. And these are people who've dreamed of jet engines since they were 5 years old. And they the craftsmanship of this and where do they where they grew up and how they dreamt of doing this. I think you care much more about that than just thinking it was some machine cranking it out in the back somewhere.
1: Totally. So one thing I like to ask everyone who is on the podcast is I would love for you to tell me something people would be surprised to know about you.
0: Um that's a good one. Um, well, I really have, I, I love, um, I love body humor. <laughs> so again, being a bit reserved, I, I'm probably not the funniest person you'll ever meet, but I really like a good, uh, racy joke. Oh, I love that. <laughs> exactly. And I'm not good at repeating any of them cause I don't remember half of them, but I really like, you know, slightly, slightly body, you know, kind of, you know, Maybe not safe for work jokes. I think, they, I think they break up the day. I have a good comedian for you then. Do you? Yes. Good. I need one.
1: <laughs> uh, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast was I would love our listeners to come away and change something about their life, do something different. So any last words of advice?
0: Well, I think you have the power within it. I mean, you know, it's so simple, but change starts with you and you're going to take those steps. Give yourself permission to take one step. What's You know, I used to do this. It's so goofy, but I swear it works. Like you, you Write yourself a permission slip. When I, you know, I, when I worked in a company, I actually kept a stack of permission slips on my desk. And when someone would say, I'm afraid, or I, don't, I can't do this, or whatever, I'd say, you know, here, to, it was symbolism. I, Rebecca, give myself permission to, and it's just a little device. So give yourself permission to, to take something, a risk on something that uh, you're afraid you're going to fail at. Just do it. I love that. Beth Comstock, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks, Rebecca. This is fun. Thank you. That was Beth Comstock, an American business executive. You can find her on Twitter, at Beth Comstock, and be sure to grab a copy of her new book, Imagine It Forward. Thanks for listening to Superwomen. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tune in next week. Superwomen is brought to you by Prudential, promoting their new project, The State of Us. Today, less than half of us believe we're on track to meet our financial goals. America is changing, and with it, the financial challenges we face. That's why Prudential has partnered with wellness expert Alexandra Drain. They're traveling across the country, talking to real people in a project called The State of Us. From the town with the longest lifespan, to the town with the highest birth rate, to the smallest town in America. Their goal is to uncover challenges getting in the way of financial wellness, because even though our challenges may seem overwhelming, Prudential believes there's a path forward for everyone. To learn more about the financial challenges facing America, visit prudential.com forward slash state of us.